When it comes to weight management, we tend to focus on what we eat, but Noom's approach puts the focus on why we eat. That's a game changer. Noom uses science and personalization to help you manage your weight for the long term. Their psychology-based approach helps build better habits and behaviors that are easier to maintain. The best part? You decide how Noom fits into your life, not the other way around. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com to sign up today. What is happening? Welcome to the Plus Pitch Podcast, your morning pitching podcast from PitcherList.com. My name is Nick Pollock. Today is June 30th. And yes, we are going to talk about baseball. Today is actually the absolute halfway point um, where I'm looking at the streaming record that I have, 50 and 39 for the year. And I realized that to get to 100, it's exactly double. We did the calculation. So welcome to the halfway point of the season. I hope it's going all right for you. For a lot of you, I imagine it's actually past the halfway point because you have your playoffs and everything. Things maybe end a little bit earlier. So it's a good time to do an assessment of where you're at and make sure that you're doing all the right things to uh, to make sure that you're going in the right direction for the second half and adjusting. If you are in a keeper league, you might want to think, you know what, maybe it might be best for me to invest in next year at this point if things just aren't going your way. But Keaton Wynn made his uh, first start for the Giants yesterday. Who is this guy? Well, he did really well. Six innings, two hundred runs. Three hits, one walk, and three Ks, and just 67 pitches with 10 whiffs against the Jays, which is very impressive. And what shocked me the most was that he threw two splitters to start this game. I knew nothing about win going in. I like doing that. I like just being instantly surprised, and I can and I don't have any bias. And the first two pitches were these splitters at 89, and I thought, oh, I guess these are like ultra sinkers. And then he threw a 97-mile-per-hour four-seamer, and I thought, oh, those are splitters. And that's so crazy. You never see the first two pitches of a game as two splitters. But welcome to baseball in 2023. So is win worth your time? Well, it is 52% splitters, which is pretty cool for 74% strikes. Now, when you normally see that, that doesn't mean that he is throwing them in the zone a ton. And splitters that are in the zone a lot generally do get hit over time. Splitters are really good because they fall under the zone and they look like fastballs that look meaty so they commit to it and then they realize that they're not going to be in the zone. But if they fall in for a strike, well it kind of falls into the barrel of the bat very effectively. And that's exactly what happened in the uh, the sixth inning when Wynn allowed a two-run shot to Vlad Jr. that was a splitter right down the middle and it was a blast to left center field. I mean this was an absolute bomb. So that's interesting when throwing splitters as a number one pitch and then pairing it with 94 to 99 on his four-seamer is kind of cool. If that really becomes a Blake Snell blueprint, and then you also have sinkers to hopefully get some quick outs, which it did in this one. It was 0 for 13 CSW, but the intention wasn't to really get called strikes or uh, getting whiffs on that sinker. It was really just to try and induce a grounder, which it did a ton. So it kind of works. Um... I, I do wonder if that splitter is as consistent as we saw yesterday. I do wonder if this is an approach that works. But he did get some whiffs on those four-seamers. I mean, he took down Brandon Belt in that first inning. That was really, really cool um, with that four-seamer. But it wasn't as successful of um, a surgical uh, dismemberment of the bat- of batters. That's a terrible phrase. I'm never saying that again. But yeah, Keenan Wynn is someone to, to look at. He does get the Mariners next. And considering that they like to swing out of the zone, I wonder if we're going to see more splitters um, that are not inside the strike zone, but outside of it and getting those whiffs. But 
We'll see. That's a very, very long breakdown on Keaton Wayne. We're going to talk about a lot more, of course. So let's go. For JP France was a stream against the the Cardinals. Didn't really do anything special. But it was seven innings of zeroed runs and six base runners in two Ks. Nice to see that. That's exactly who he is. And he's a good foundation that allows you to have guys like Jesus Lazardo, who has been so good lately, um, to win your, your week. And he went 6.1 innings of zero and runs, three hits, one walk, and nine strikeouts. Um, he has a 3.43 ERA with a sub one whip and a 30% strikeout rate since May 9th, which is right when I made that bet with Fast that Jesus Lazardo would be under a 3.7 ERA and under a 120 whip the rest of the way. You gotta love it. Of course, I'm taking a victory lap, which is stupid to do. Never take victory laps, and who knows what will happen. The next uh, couple uh, months, not to mention Luzardo has had some favorable matchups and all that kind of stuff, but it's really nice to see him doing really well at the moment. Chris Bassett, who has been a cherry bomb really, came through for those who have been faithful managers as he went against the Giants, six innings, zero runs, three hits, three walks, and 12 strikeouts. Yes, Chris Bassett had 12 strikeouts, 18 whiffs, 36% CSW. Here I was saying like every single pitch was a little bit worse. That is, the curve was getting hit more. The four-seamer wasn't getting as many whiffs, nor was it a good put-away pitch at two strikes as he had used before. The CSW was a little bit down in the sinker as he wasn't getting low, etc. And then now the sinker has a 43% CSW, and the four-seamer got whiffs and two-strike counts. And the curve, well, that actually allowed two of the three hits that he had, but everything was really good here as a kitchen sink approach. It's lovely... And you got to hope that he keeps this. I mean, I imagine I've called him as Cherry Bomb because he's been up and down. So there is volatility, but you just got to keep starting Bassett. That's all you can do. Shane Bieber against the the Royals. Uh, Yeah, I was hoping to see eight strikeouts here from the Royals, meaning that he had his curveball and slider once again getting a ton of whiffs. It was 13 whiffs between them in the previous outing. And it was just four over 27 here. The cutter did get some, which is good, but that's not really the Shane Bieber I want to see. There's a part of me that feels like this was more the Royals being really bad than Shane Bieber being the man that we want him to be. But we just keep starting Bieber. Of course we do, and we hope for the best. Zach Little against the Diamondbacks, two innings, zero and runs. And uh, I'm I'm secretly a little sad that he doesn't throw like eight pitches because then it would be a little bit of this, a little bit of that. Johnny Torino's followed for six innings of one and run, 10 base runners, and four Ks. He is using the splitter more. It used to be just more um, sinker slider, which are both really bad pitches. And the splitter, I don't really believe in. So I know Johnny Torino's has had these low ERA marks for the past like month or so. I really don't want to keep chasing that. Brian Bayo against the Marlins, seven innings, one and run, two hits, one walk, and five strikeouts. This was really nice with the sinker and changeup once again. Five whiffs each and also a 35% plus CSW on each of them. I still want to see that slider come to fruition. But hey, if these two pitches are really working, of course, there's a four-seamer in there as well. Then you just keep going with Bayo and don't really worry about it. But he does get the Rangers next. And that's going to be a very tough one for me. That's going to be a questionable start. I don't really want to do it because the Rangers are that good. They're not the Marlins. And Bayo doesn't have the slider. So let's get it out of the way. And then we have a nice second half to follow. Okay, cool. Tywin Walker against the Cubs, six innings, one run, six hits, one walk in six Ks. He's chaos to me. I just I don't know what we're gonna get. 93-94 on the sinker, which is fine. 33% splitter rate for only a 16% CSW. And then he had some cutters, and that was really it. I, I just don't know what to get. He gets the raise next. So we are not starting him for that. And Tywin Walker to me, I know it's been good. It's like actually like the last couple of weeks have been really great if you've held on to Tywin Walker. I just don't buy it once again. He's he's really is kind of like the great undulator these days. 
Reese Olsen went against Texas. We didn't have any expectations of good um, of a good performance here, but we have bad news, which is like, what? Okay, does poorly against the Rangers? Doesn't matter. No, he got a comebacker to the knee. Uh, so he left the game with a contusion, which is unfortunate. He does get the athletics next, and as long as he's cleared for that, I'm still in for that start. But yeah, not 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 a fun thing to see a comeback or take uh, hit you in the knee there. That could be very dangerous, and I hope he's just okay and can start next time. Joe Musgrove against the Pirates, six innings, two earned runs, seven hits, one walk in six Ks, which is like the most typical standard line for Joe Musgrove. I mean, maybe six hits instead of seven. But yeah, that's that's what he does. Uh, the slider was better, 38% CSW, which is good to see. Um, the curve and the cutter did good work. I mean, this was solid from Musgrove. It's good to see it against the Pirates. He couldn't get the win because the bullpen let him down. That's just how baseball works. Um, but yeah, I don't really see ace potential here because I think Musgrove just doesn't overwhelm. But he's good. He's got a good. He's got great secondary stuff, and he should be good the rest of the way. Just not your top 10, top 15 starter, that's all. Uh, there are a lot of other guys to talk about from yesterday's games. We're going to talk about all of them and, of course, today and tomorrow's starters after this break. Are you ready to step up to the plate and show off your fantasy baseball skills? Check out Underdog's Fantasy 7th Inning Stretch Tournament from now through July 14th, where you can build your dream team and compete against your friends for the $150,000 in total prizes. So what are you waiting for? Visit the link in the episode description and use promo code PITCHERLIST to receive 100% deposit match up to $100. Join us in the 7th inning stretch tournament and experience the thrill of fantasy baseball like never before on Underdog. Good luck and may the best team win. Must be 18 or older, 19 or older in Alabama and Nebraska, 21 and older in Massachusetts and Arizona, and present in a state where Underdog Fantasy operates. Terms apply. Concerned with your play? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit www.ncp.com gambling.org in Arizona call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in New York call 1-877-8-HOPE-NY and in Tennessee call 1-800-889-9789 Max Scherzer 6 innings 2 and runs 7 hits 2 walks in 9 strikeouts everyone's been saying oh he's cooked here and cooked there and <laughs> he's not a chef um, but I you know Max Scherzer is still great. I do really worry about 2024. I really feel like he's doing everything he can to stay on the bump right now. Uh, and just going to fight and give everything this season to the point that he's just not going to have anything left in the tank for 2024. That's just how I see it. But for fantasy purposes, we just you know keep starting Scherzer as he's putting everything on the line. That's how I see what's happening on the field right now. Adrian Hauser was on the other side of that game. Six innings, two hundred runs, seven hits, one walk, and five Ks. He just chucks fastballs and hopes for the best, and that's it. All right. Um, watching this is just very boring as a pitch analyst. But yeah, that's another sinker. Okay. I guess that worked. That's that's my take of Adrian Hauser. Zach Greinke against the Guardian. Six innings, two hundred runs. Nice. 11 hits, two walks, and zero Ks. Only Greinke, I feel like, could do that. That's over a two whip with only two hundred runs in six innings and not a single strikeout with just one whiff. What on earth? Uh, Emmett Sheehan was in cores and honestly did well for being in cores. Five innings, three hundred runs, seven hits, zero walks, and five strikeouts, eleven whiffs. Now he gets Pittsburgh and that's wonderful. So we're we're all cool there again. I see him as a slightly better Brady Singer in a better situation. Cal Hendricks against the Phillies did not have his curveball, but it was still a productive start. Seven innings, three runs, six hits, zero walks, and four Ks. Changeup and sinker are still really good. Actually, the four-seamer also got a lot of uh, called strikes here, so he's he's commanding super well. 
And we just keep rolling with Hendricks. And man, I just hope that the curveball comes back too to, to add more long-term consistency here. Clark Schmidt against the Athletics was not really that good. He got you a win, but at what cost? 5.1 innings of three and runs, five hits, three walks, and three Ks. So the ratios are, are blech. This was against Oakland. He's at Toby. But I feel like you should just be streaming instead of holding on to Clark Schmidt. Cody Bradford was against the Tigers stepping in. And for John Gray, who's going today instead. And this was 4.1 innings of 300 runs, 4 hits, 3 walks, but 8 strikeouts, which is kind of interesting because he gets 7 whiffs on the 90-91 mile per hour 4-seamer and an 82-83 mile per hour changeup for 8 strikeouts. That's fine, but it was also really the Tigers, and the Tigers also messed up at ratio-wise. So don't really go with the man with 3 first names. That is Cody Bradford. I don't think that he's worth your time. Hogan Harris against the Yankees, 5.1 innings, 4 and runs, 9 hits, 2 walks, 2 Ks. I kind of dig him as like a kitchen sink lefty, but it's really not something that I want to hold on to in 12-teamers, or really even 15-teamers. Uh, it's really just for that random stream. Like, oh, hey, he's going against this really bad team. Okay, maybe I'll consider Hogan Harris there. Luis Ortiz against the Padres. He's a piece. Poor execution, awesome stuff. 4.2 innings, 4 and runs, 6 hits, 3 walks, and 0 strikeouts. How am I going to butter my bread with this? You should not be rostering Luis Ortiz. I know this is the Padres, but still, you should not be rostering him. Lance Lynn, what do you do, right? 6 innings, 5 earned runs, 8 hits, 2 walks. This was against the Angels, but he got 7 strikeouts with 24 whiffs. Man, how do you allow so many bad things on all the other strikes that you throw? Oh, man. Um... It's weird. He threw a lot of sliders in this one, which is not typical. It's normally just four seamers and cutters for Lance Lynn. Threw sliders, which weren't that effective, but they certainly helped. And when we saw that amazing 16 strikeout game from Lance Lynn, it was sliders, but also curveballs and also changeups that were getting involved on top of that fastball in the cutter. It just feels so weird. He's really a hipster, headache-inducing starting pitcher, stifling the entire roster. And uh, really, a pitcher, not just a starting pitcher. It's just, what do you do? I don't know. You do whatever you want. He gets to Jays next, and it's like, you can't do that. But you you have to feel like a good stretch is coming when all the fortune goes his way, right? Because he's getting all these whiffs. Like, that's a skill that is that should speak to more success. That's all. Brandon Fott returned, and it was <laughs> so cruel what they do to him because he made his MLB debut against the Rangers, which obviously wouldn't go well. And then he returns from the minors against the Rays. Like, why? Come on. Don't you have any sort of sense of the mental impact this makes on these prospects? Um, He's not throwing the same four-seamer that we heard about before the start of the year, and that means we're just not going after this. Adam Wainwright against the Astros. Absolutely not. He is not fantasy relevant. It is sad to see the end of a wonderful career kind of come to a close in this way. Chase Anderson against the Dodgers. Absolutely not. And Patrick Sandoval against the White Sox really did not come through. Sure, it was eight strikeouts, but only 11 whiffs. Seven earned runs. Eight hits, two walks, five innings against the White Sox. And you're just like, don't do this. Don't just don't put yourself in harm's way with Patrick Sandoval. Looking forward to today's and tomorrow's starters today, we don't really have any changes except for one. So it's McClanahan, Lopez, Bobby Miller, uh, Justin Steele, Justin Steele, Freddie Peralta, James Paxton, and Jose Brios all in the auto start tier. Bryce Miller against the Rays in the in the probable start tier. You have questionable start of Luis Severino against the Cardinals, by the way, which I'm just, I'm terrified. Dean Kramer against the Twins, as well as Bido against the Brewers. That is the stream pick of the day. Also, Michael Soroka is back. 
I picked him up in the PL Legacy League for a dollar of a $100 uh, waiver hour budget. So I would consider rostering Soroka. This could be a really nice one. Um, and moving forward, hopefully he just becomes a rock inside of the Atlanta rotation as it feels like he's going to be there for a little bit now. Uh, John Gray against uh, uh, Houston, Cal Quantrill, Alex Cobb. I don't know how long he's going to go and just feels like it's still there that you want to avoid. Griffin Canning, Seth Lugo, and Luis Medina close out the uh, probable, sorry, the questionable start tier. And the do not start tier, it's Tommy Henry, T- Tanner Banks, Renal Blanco against the Rangers. Brian Homing against Atlanta, Carlos Carrasco, Josiah Gray, Christopher Sanchez, Matthew Libertor, Michael Lorenzen, Austin Gomber, Alec Marsh, and Graham Ashcraft. Obviously not Ashcraft. Who is Alec Marsh? He's making his MLB debut for the Royals. He's going against the Dodgers, though. Just wait and see here. Kind of interesting. Um, I don't really think you want to chase guys making MLB debuts for the Royals, but watch this one. We'll see what happens. Uh, He throws kind of mid-90s, I believe. Uh, It's mid-90s fastballs, around 94. He gets some whiffs upstairs with it. He has a changeup and a slider as well. I'm curious what it is. Um, I don't really think it's going to be anything for you to pick up, because especially after the Dodgers... Um, well, sorry, starting against the Dodgers is not going to really give you any sort of confidence. But hey, maybe there's something surprising here. Looking forward to tomorrow game, tomorrow's games. We have Garrett Cole, Zach Wheeler, Dylan Cease, uh, Tyler Glasnow, Justin Verlander, Corbin Burns. All very obvious ones. Corbin Burns is the bottom of them. Even though it's Pittsburgh, he's just been weird relative to the other guys there who are just so very clearly good at the moment. Dylan Cease gets the athletics. Oh, my gosh. And Tyler Glasnow gets the Mariners, the with heavy Mariners. This is going to be really good. George Kirby gets the raise, which is very contentious, but I feel like if you have George Kirby, you're going to do that. Charlie Morton against the Marlins, I feel like if you have Morton, you're doing that. Same with Marcus Stroman against the Guardians, even though he had that blister in that last start. And Yuri Perez, who just feels so good to start right now, because does get Atlanta, but I kind of don't care. Probable start here, you have Julio Urias returning from the IL. Nick, isn't this a still ill? Well, it's the Royals. He's done well in his rehab, and I feel as if... Urias is enough of a skill set where it's a relatively safe play, even though it is a still ill. Even if it's four innings or so, if you have him, you put him in your lineup, right? Tanner Bybee against the Cubs. He did so well last time, and the Cubs aren't scary. You have Bailey Ober just doing his normal thing at Baltimore, so that feels relatively safe. Yusei Kikuchi has been really good with his curveball and his slider in the zone. He gets the Red Sox. That feels fine. Hunter Brown gets the Rangers, which is unfortunate, but Hunter Brown's just been really good, so I'm going to let him go here. Nathan Evaldi is very scary, and I actually said that I didn't expect him to make another start, uh, at least get skipped because he's at 94.4. I don't know if he's still going to make that start. I, I don't know what I want. I honestly want the Rangers to skip him, give him time, and hopefully he can address the velocity dip. But we'll see. If he is starting, I guess it's a probable start because he's made it work with lower velocity and the Astros are without Jordan. I don't know. And the stream pick of the day is Johan Aviedo against the Brewers. He's been able to get his breaking stuff in the zone effectively. Questionable start here against the... uh, Sorry. Questionable start here is Mackenzie Gore against the Phillies. He's been able to get strikeouts. His whole approach is volatile a bit. If he can do the Blake Snell blueprint, he could be really good. It's a fantastic fastball when he elevates it. But it's also the Phillies who are a bit dangerous. James Caprillion could actually be a very sneaky starter against the White Sox as he's thrown four seamers and sliders for strikes. Even though he lowered their velocity, his command of the two pitches have been much better lately. So it's something interesting to watch, especially with a good slider that can do well against the White Sox as a right-hander. Tyler Anderson had a really good changeup last time, like the peak changeup. 
point it is Arizona. So questionable start. Cal Bryce has been on a good run. It's the Twins. Maybe that works, but I just don't really like Cal Bryce, especially with the cripple not being the major pitch last time out. And Jack Flaherty and Anthony Discafani round out this tier. Flaherty's coming back from the hip uh, injury that had him scratched, and it's the Yankees, and I don't know. Do you want to start Flaherty? Go ahead. I just don't really think that he's he's a cherry bomb, right? So do what you want. And Anthony Discafani has been a little bit better lately, but it's the Mets, and I really don't want to go for that. Do not start here. Ryan Nelson had a good changeup last time out. I don't believe it to be a major thing for his arsenal, which means that he still doesn't have good breaking balls, and that's very risky against the Angels. Michael Waka could be starting tomorrow. I feel like his shoulder is still hurting him, and if we do see him, it's going to be a very limited pitch count. I know he's been so good, but I feel like you got to bench him completely, especially in Cincinnati. Cutter Crawford is a PLV darling and could be better as the season goes on, but this is the Jays, and I don't want to do that. Dylan Lynch is trying to do fastball changeup, and I don't really buy that, plus it's the Dodgers. Brandon Williamson against the Padres, absolutely not. And in cores, you have Tyler Alexander versus Peter Lambert, and uh, you're not starting either of those. All right, that is it for today. Thank you all so much for listening to this regular daily podcast and leaving a rating and review on iTunes. Those go so far for us, but that is it. So my name is Nick Pollock. And may your bamboos be low and your strikeouts high.